Happy Halloween! You've reached the Spooky Signal Watch, your haunt for movies, television, comics, and morgues. I'm your ghost, Ryan Steens. Join me and a crypt full of co-contributors as we exhume cultural artifacts of the 20th century, boldly explode the 21st, and try to put it all in perspective. Stay terrified. We're going to try to make this horrifying. Welcome to a Halloween episode of the Spooky Signal Watch. Spooky. And with me today is... Spooky Jamie. And I'm your host, Ryan Steens, being creepy and ghoulish. But today we're covering the 1933 film, The Invisible Man. Part of the original cycle of the Universal Horror Films. Um... So, Jamie, uh, you've seen this one before, correct? I had not seen this one before. I was shocked. Because I, as much as you love the Universal monsters, I mean, I've seen, like, Dracula's daughter and Frankenstein's great uncle and whatever. You know, there's so many. And I've seen a lot of them. But for some reason, and this is one of the original. Yeah. I had not seen this one. Okay. Fun. Okay, yeah, I didn't no. realize that. Yeah, right. which made it more fun for me. Um, thought this was delightful. Good. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that it was the intended effect. <laughs> I think it would have been a lot more like. Have, I was trying to like imagine seeing it for the first time in 1933. Right. Like the special effects were groundbreaking. Yes. And that would have been creepy. Yes. And, yeah, imagining an invisible guy running around. I mean, that's, you know, and and just the look of him when he's all bandaged up. And a lot of that has a creepy element to it. Sure. But viewing it today, (laughs) I couldn't help it. There's, there is an element of when he is running around in his true invisible self, which means stripping down naked. So you just can't see him at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just his voiceover. And he is, anytime he is running havoc through the town, like just messing with people, there's an element of, you can't catch me, I'm the gingerbread man, tee And it is so funny. Like, I don't think they intended it to be funny. I will disagree with that statement. Oh, some of it. Well, I guess when he's like stealing the bicycle and all of that, that's funny. 
Does it color at all when I say this was directed by James Whale? Oh, right. See, I forgot about that part. Yeah. So The Invisible Man was and it was directed by James Whale, who had previously done Frankenstein and would go on to do Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, those movies both feel shockingly modern when I watched them. Um, there's there's just a lot of modern sensibilities, and especially when you get into Bride of Frankenstein, that movie is high camp. Yes. In an, in an era that did not understand high camp. Um, and I think that this is your first, because Frankenstein doesn't, the first one doesn't really have the camp aspect. No. I mean, it's it's kind of high energy and and over the top. Overacting. Overacting. <laughs> But it's not, uh, yeah, it's, it, there's just a lot more in Bride of Frankenstein that I think they bring to the table. Explain- Dr. Pretorius. Yeah, that ex- actually explains a lot of the overacting in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then there are some parts, and I mean parts, like actor parts, in which, like, did you just grab this guy off the street? Because that line reading was absolutely terrible. Um, but a lot of, like... Well, Una O'Connor is in it. Yes. Being her most Una O'Connor. Yes. To great effect. <laughs> a lot of screaming and hysterical laughing and just being completely at an 11. Yes. <laughs> but there's also Gloria Stewart. Mm-hmm. Who I was like, where do I know that name? Where do I know that name? Well, she's... I mean, for me, for modern viewers, she is the woman in Titanic. It's been 84 years. years, Who won all the accolades and Oscar nominations that year. Um, And it's very clearly her once you realize. Right. Yeah. Right. But I didn't, I actually didn't realize that until this morning when I looked her up. Because I was like, I I just don't know. I know her from somewhere. I probably have seen her in. The nose and jawline changed not at all. So. She's not really given much to do. She's kind of... Uh, this movie's not passing the Bechdel test. No. Um, she's Claude Rains. What, what is his name? Is it Jack? Yeah, it's Jack Griffin. Jack Griffin is the character's name, but she's his love interest and really not on screen much. But, you know, when she is, it's all high melodrama. Oh, Jack. Yeah. I have to get Jack home. Do the fainting on the fainting couch. There's there's a podcast or there's a thesis to be written about James Whale and women and why Bride of Frankenstein works so well. Um, at some point, uh, and, and we can you know, but I, I think the bottom line for me is he knew what the studio wanted women to be like. And Ride of Frankenstein was somewhat his response to that, in my opinion, um, of you can make the women, you can make them what you want them to be, but they're underneath hissing and furious about it. Yeah. Um, and, and don't want to play your, your game. I love that about Bride. Yeah. Um, if you've not seen Bride of Frankenstein, we did 
part of a podcast on it a few years ago um, when Simon and I were covering, uh, we, we would do a Universal movie and then we'd do the Hammer remake. And we covered Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and then Hammer's Frankenstein all in one podcast. And I uh, encourage you to go check that podcast out. But yeah, I think this movie's a tremendous amount of fun. I think it's really interesting. It's definitely a horror film. Um, it's a science fiction film as well as are is Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Um, it's H.G. Wells, Invisible Man. So you know it's got science fiction angles and, and kind of looks at what is the implication of being able to be invisible, but also maybe you're on cocaine. Oh, they went to great pains to say, oh, this chemical that he used to inject himself to make himself invisible also makes you crazy mm-hmm. and want to kill people. Apparently. Yeah. It's not only is he invisible, he's a huge jerk. Yes. Yes. It's hilarious. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of it's very funny, but let's not, I mean, he is like derailing trains and stuff like that. Oh, it's horrendous. He, he, he gets some ideas in his head that you're just, yeah. So I'm going to take over the world, but in order to do that, I'm going to murder a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. It's not clear what his plan is, but it doesn't matter because he's... Well, oh, man. He's really thought through. I think, yeah, because he is crazy. Yeah. Um, the film opens on him uh, walking towards a small town when he's in the middle of a snowstorm in um, somewhere outside of London. Yeah. Already transformed. Mm-hmm. And kind of entering this in... And demanding a room and demanding things from from them. And there's the kind of country bumpkin versus the big city. Like, I, it, I always forget this movie takes place in 1933 current times until about halfway through the movie. Mm. When they start going, okay, telephones and radio. And because and because the, the people in the village are dressed the same as they have been for a hundred years. Right. Right. And they're still operating as if it's any time between 1933 and 1733. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have rooms available if you, yeah. you know, but, but we have to air them out and all this stuff. I mean, cars show up about midway through. About yeah. 30 minutes in. Yeah. And there's, but if he rode up on a horse, you wouldn't be any. No, I mean, he takes off on some guy's bicycle. Yes. Throws it at him, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, he, what the, the basic gist of it is, uh, Jack Griffin at some point prior to this film, as Jamie described, had started experimenting to try and become invisible. But why he doesn't really say other than he has questions. Yes. Like, why wouldn't he try this on like an animal first? <laughs> you don't know what this is gonna do. Yeah. That's a big gamble. Yeah. Try it on yourself. Why I not mean, the invisible rat or the invisible chimp? No, he just went right for it. Yeah. Um I mean, I guess because movie wouldn't happen. Yes. I've never read the novel, um, and, and maybe I should, um, by H.G. Wells. I don't know how different this is from that book. Uh, what H.G. Wells I have read uh, leads me to believe it's probably somewhat different, but comes to the same general conclusions, maybe. But at this period, 
Hollywood was just kind of doing whatever Hollywood was doing. So if it's vastly different, I won't be entirely shocked. It probably has characters who have roughly the same names, a few of the same things happening in it, and probably very little else. Um, the cast uh, is, we mentioned Gloria Stewart. Claude Rains plays Jack Griffin. Um, this is fairly early in his career. Uh, he's still, at this point, nine years away, I think, from Casablanca. Um and, you know, he would go on to be in other, he, he was in uh, the Phantom of the Opera for Universal. So he did other horror, but Claude Rains had, and of course, the Wolfman in, in the 40s. Um, a lot of things where he covers his face. Uh, well, in you know, the Wolfman, he plays the Wolfman's dad. Oh, so he, right. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, Lon Chaney Jr. That's Lon Chaney Jr. That's yeah. right. Um, like a lot of James Whale movies, it seems like it was probably filmed in England and it absolutely was not. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's this like weird combo of like, it seems like 75% British casting and then like, oh, there's Gloria Stewart and she's doing her mid-Atlantic accent and there's, you know, um. So where was it filmed? I believe it was filmed in LA on the Universal really? Jack lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, you have, uh, Henry Travers, uh, who you might know from, I believe it's a wonderful life and Clarence. yeah. Um, playing Flora's dad. I immediately was like, it's Clarence. Yeah. Every time that guy shows up. So, and he's, he looks exactly the same, but this is like almost 15 years before it's a wonderful life. You're like, what Unreal. point did you get middle yeah. age, my friend? Yeah. There's a lot of actors like that. Mm -hmm. just. Don't they? They appear and they're sudden. They're just middle aged their entire career. Yeah. Well, people used to live a lot harder. Um, and, and I guess Henry Travers was maybe among them. But like you go through the names of all the the actors, and it's like E. E. Clive who appears in other things. Uh, he plays the constable here. He tends to play a lot of um, butlers and other things. Was he? What's all this then? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He may be the person who brought that phrase to America. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say it's not scary from a certain point of view. Um, there, it's it's scary to conceive of what it would mean to do that to yourself and not to be able to get away from it. Um, you're you're looking for the solution. Like you didn't think of the antidote before you started injecting yourself. Yeah. There's some bad science happening in this. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I was eager to watch this one as opposed to more modern versions is I think the more modern versions, because we have had advancements in special effects, um, you know, at least one of them, because I've seen part of it go in on the body horror stuff of like, oh, you can see him digesting food. And it's, yeah. that that's just really gross to me. And I knew there wasn't going to be any of that in here. Yeah, they talk about it, but they don't show it. Right. Um, it would be too difficult in 33 to do something like that. When I was a kid, and I've mentioned this in other Halloween podcasts, but I, I read, you know, I was coming, there were two waves post 30s of kind of, the classic universal monsters becoming a thing. And one was in the fifties when they hit TV, mm -hmm. TV became a thing and they needed creature features for Saturday night. And then also there's a famous story of Dracula playing in LA and Bella Lugosi driving by and going, there's a line around the theater for this movie I did 20 years ago. 
Um, so that that happened. Those kids grew up and handed the movies over to their kids in the 70s. And that's kind of when I came in. Now, my dad wasn't really ever into the Universal Monsters. He, he didn't care one way or another. But there were cheap paperbacks out about the monsters. And for whatever reason, my mom thought that was something I'd want to read. And she was right. So I remember reading about this movie and them talking about, we still don't really know how they did the effects. Because there was no such thing as necessarily a green screen back then. I read that it was basically black on black. That's exactly right. They finally found that out probably in like the late 80s. Someone was like, oh, well, that was just black velvet on black velvet. Mm -hmm. So it would just absorb the light. Yeah. Um, And you can kind of see an outline when he's in his PJs mm -hmm. and just with some things. Like there's a scene in which he smokes a cigarette. And so you can see like on the cigarette and on the lighter – but a lot of the stuff, like books moving around, I had to be like just strings or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and they also do really good things with his weight on like pillows and seat mm -hmm. cushions and uh, footsteps in the snow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I you know, people trying to figure out how to mess with film and or mess with reality in film. It, it was, you know. Pretty much from day one of film. I mean, that's like if I, if you have never seen it, I highly recommend the movie Hugo, um, which is about the French filmmaker, silent filmmaker Melier. Is that correct? I think so. Um, and all the kind of like here's this world of imagination we can do by you know putting the camera and jumping out of frame and starting the camera again and then just splicing it together. Um, so there was there's been that aspect to you know film all along and if you watch those old melier films which i highly highly recommend um it there's some amazing effects but he never really did anything like this um and there's just a lot of thought put into things like we can create a chest and then like make some the bandages stiff as if he's still in the bandages and like the bottom half of his face is still covered as he's unscrolling the top of his head um it, it's super effective and credit to the actors who are pretending to get punched and manhandled mm -hmm. by nothing yeah um <laughs> the guy that threw himself down the stairs yeah. You know, that guy was like given a crisp $100 bill for like, okay. Dollars. All right, Jerry, here's what we need you to do. Five. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been, I've also been watching uh, Exorcist 3 uh, recently. So people falling downstairs has been a, a hot topic for me lately. Um, but yeah, it, it, it you know, it's kind of psychological horror more than it's I think like you know oh my god someone made a monster out of human body parts and it's walking around and moaning at people like and that's not the best way to describe Frankenstein but it is what it is um, and of course like every one of these other movies there's kind of like oh well you know if you're not really familiar with it you you the visuals of it are probably what you're familiar with. The guy in the bandages with the sunglasses and the fake nose. And he's maybe wearing the black hat. And it's like, oh, yeah, I know when he takes those off, he's invisible under all that. Those are some very distinctive sunglasses, by the way, because they do have, like, a side portion to them. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very, like, 
when I think about the image of the Invisible Man, which I knew before I'd seen the movie, that's yeah. part of what I think of. And I think, I mean, that was probably what um, like scientific eyewear looked like back then. I think they were actually driving goggles. Were they? Yeah. Um, I've seen them pop up in other movies that are kind of period thing uh-huh. from, from taking place a few years earlier, especially in England. Uh-huh. I don't know if that idea really caught on here. I think it was more of a thing they did in England at one mm, point. That's interesting. Um, I can, I'm not going to Google it right now while we're recording, but I, I believe that to be true, uh, in this moment. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it, I, they're, they're extremely dark in this film. I don't know if they were that dark, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, like everything else that the Universal Monsters did, there's a very distinctive look. Um, and you know, it's been borrowed here and there, negative man and the doom patrol. Well, and, I absolutely thought of that. Yeah. Larry. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so people often think when they see negative man, he's supposed to be the invisible, the man. invisible yeah. man. Um, no, he's just real gross under yeah. there. <laughs> And I, you know, I think there's, there's, they've, it was recently remade with Elizabeth Moss. Um, I was going to watch it and then it came out about the same week we all went home for COVID and then it was available streaming and I tried to watch it at some point. It's available this Halloween and maybe I'll watch it on Peacock. I think it's on Peacock. Every time I put it on, I know it's also been turned into a movie about domestic abuse. Oh. And I'm like... I don't know if this is really the flavor of this. I mean, I should watch it at some point. Elizabeth Moss is perfect. Like, you know, you might be on your own on that one. Um, yeah. So, um, this one has just such a spirit of, I think, fun to everything and really plays the cops up as. Oh, you're so dumb. <laughs> I was going to try and say it nicer, but yeah. There's guys calling in like within minutes of his initial attack and appearance in the town. So everyone knows there's an invisible dude running around. It's no secret. So there's like guys calling into the cops going, here's what you do. And like, they give him all ideas. And like the first guy's idea is fantastic. Throw some ink on him. Mm -hmm. And they never do that. They just like link arms and like, okay, we got him now. Like he can't run past them. You, You can't see him. Well, they do. He's ha- gonna do like boink, poiky, poke you in the eyes and run underneath your arms. Well, they do. They do surround the police station with guys with paint guns. That's what their okay. plan is. I I didn't catch that the paint gun thing. Yeah, that's why he puts dirt on top of the wall of the police dirt, station because like the cat is. And know, then they're supposed to spray. Right. And they spray the cat instead. Yeah. They don't see that. Yeah. Right. Such doofuses. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's part of the, you know, we're all fairly used to kind of like sci-fi concepts at this point. So we're always like, we don't know how to deal with the zombies or whatever. So you always have to do this step back of, okay, this isn't a world where no one's, if, if you called the cops and said an invisible man is running around the grocery store, knocking things over, the cops are not going to respond that there's an invisible man Running around the grocery store. The chief, who was not privy to the happenings of, you know, his first run run around town, even though there are 50 people at least 
telling him there's an invisible dude, he's still like, you guys, this is mass hysteria. You're yeah. pulling one over on me. Because, yeah, it's a, you're saying that there's an invisible guy. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it it really becomes one of the things that you have to, quote unquote, see it with your own eyes. Before mm-hmm. you, and, and the guy ends up with his head bashed in by the invisible man. I mean, there's yeah. there's some James Whale brand, you know, irony going from the <laughs> of like, well, dumb, dumb, maybe you should have listened to everybody else who was trying to tell you things. Yeah. I mean, honestly, one of the, the like most useful guys in the whole movie is the farmer at the end who when naked invisible man is on the run and Cole finds shelter in his barn and he goes in there to start shoveling hay and there's you know a guy sleeping under the hay he's like figures it out Mm -hmm. that's who it is goes straight to the cops yeah like hey that's where he is it's snowing outside yeah. He's, you know, he can't run anywhere because you're going to see where he's going. I mean, that's, that guy is clutch. <laughs> it, it's an interesting scene, too, because it has kind of echoes of John Wilkes Booth. Um, that's kind of how John Wilkes Booth ended up going out. Uh, yeah. Um, he was hiding in a barn and they basically set it on fire. And then he, I believe, got shot on his way out of the barn. Um. But yeah, it's uh, once everyone's kind of aware of what's going on and 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 all that, um, they're able to pull together. Now, before that, they kind of set up this other dude. Um, I'm trying to remember his name, Kemp, uh, Doctor Arthur Kemp, and he is rivals for Flora's attention uh, and affections. And he is the other scientist working under uh, Clarence. Yeah, under <laughs> Doctor Cranley. I was trying to remember Dr. the character's Dr. name. Clarence is, uh, under Henry Travers, and you just know from this guy's look when he shows up at the beginning of the film and like his first two lines, this dude is absolutely going to get murdered. He's a goober. Yeah. And you feel bad for the actor that it's like, I'm sorry, your face makes me think you're going to get murdered in this movie, (laughs) but you're 100% not making it out to the end. I mean, he's kind of not cool to Laurie Stewart, but then you feel bad for him because he is the person who uh, Dr. Griffin goes to. Yeah. And he basically doesn't give him any choice. He's like, I'm going to stay in your house. You're going to bring me food. You're going to do everything I ask. You're going to become an accessory to murder because you're going to be my getaway driver. Like, plays it out for him. And he does all the things because he's scared of him. Yeah. Then he also makes the mistake of calling the cops. So if I was this guy, and, and I'm not, but if I were, one, I would just be like, Yes, Jack. Of course, Jack. Sounds like a plan, Jack. And if I'm preparing his food, I'm just putting rat poison into his food. Yeah, there are so many things he could have done. Yeah. And for because movie has to happen, he doesn't do those Uh things. Um, I don't think he's like a cad around Flora, but he's clearly in a moment of trauma. Either. I just feel like they, they wrote those lines in make you not feel bad for him like 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they kind of did this. It, it's the same thing in in uh, Frankenstein of the the girl to be shown to be desirable has to both have a have affection for the guy who's going crazy, Doctor Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and his friend is also like, if you just give me a shot, yeah, I'll rock your world. Um, and she, you know, but you're, they also, and I think in both movies kind of do it when the women are grieved and it's not the right time. It's not yet. Yeah. Um, but you know, whatever, but it's also gives this interesting insight into what was courting like during this period. <laughs> I have no idea. Like I've seen Age of Innocence. Like that's all I've got. Like, I don't really understand why anyone would think this was like a normal thing to do, but it's the same stuff you see in a lot of movies from this period of everyone's kind of vying for the affection, like grown men are vying for the affections of, of a taken woman. I don't, I don't know. It's just, but that didn't stop for a long time. I mean, no, it's not something that, I mean, it's played a lot more subtly, like it's not post 1965 or so. Yeah. In this period, it's just like, I'm flat out telling you, you need to ditch the zero and get with the hero. Like, Yeah. I mean, jumping a little bit, but even last night, we're, we're currently re-watching Moonlighting because it showed up on Hulu or something. Yes. And I'm sure we'll maybe do a podcast at some point. Sure. Um, I'll talk about Civil Shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> But we were talking about how inappropriate even, like, mid-80s David Addison was. Oh, yeah. He's an HR nightmare. Yeah. Like, and that's that's 50 years later. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's been almost 40 years since that show. Yeah. So. Um, oh, geez. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, 38 years or something. Um but yeah, it, I I really like the character of Jack Griffin in it. It's amazing that Claude Rains does not show his face until literally the last twenty seconds of the I film. Was thinking about that, like that's quite a not a risk to take, but um, I did read that like Boris Karloff was in talks for this, but he didn't want to do it because he wouldn't be showing his face for the whole thing. Well, this is right on the heels of him having to play the monster. So true. That's and, very true. But also, yeah, I think more importantly, James Whale decided that his voice was not going to carry this. It, it would have slowed the movie down. Like I love Boris Karloff, but it would have slowed the movie down. It's an, it's a tight hour now. Yeah. And I think it would have been like a scientist and, Claude Rains does. Like, he has that intellectual sort of... I mean, maybe he could have done it. it may, he would have... Claude Rains sounds like a smart guy when he opens his mouth. Yeah. That's kind of his bag. Yeah. Yes. He's also... I mean, they managed to make him, like, pretty him up for the final, like, ten seconds. And maybe he was a very attractive man in 33. I don't know. I've only seen him in later things. But he's, yeah. he's a little weird looking. He's not classically handsome. Yeah. So this might have been like the choice. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he totally carries them. It, it. I don't know if it made his career or not. I have no real feeling, but he's in a he's first listed, which was an interesting choice given like when Karloff did Frankenstein in the credits, it says monster question, question mark. mark. Yeah, and it was only in subsequent releases, and then on the posters, once it you know the movie blew up and the movie magazines were like, oh well, the monster is played by this guy Boris Karloff. You may have seen playing a thug in these other movies and stuff. He did not have a star making career until Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, now I, I think Claude Rains as an actor, I mean, he's, amazing. he's still one of my favorite actors. Um, probably would have been fine. Even if he hadn't had this, I don't think it hurt his career that he had this giant star making role where mm-hmm. they, you know, put his name up as the first one of the invisible one. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah, he's absolutely terrific. And he, you know, everybody else is kind of out of central casting. You've seen a lot of these faces before. I will just laugh because, you know, you can't have one of these movies. Unfortunately, Dwight Fry passed really early. He was a very young man when he died. But he pops up and this is a journalist for like three seconds. I don't know if you heard me cackle. Yes, I did. And I didn't know why you were laughing. Yeah, he shows up as a journalist. And he's these totally straight lines, but he's still Dwight Fry. He's like, so... Do you think you're calm? And you're just like, oh, Dwight Fry, never stop. Uh, but yeah, he's he's uh, he, he's in it uh, as well, you know, just for a split second there. But um, yeah, I mean, with like E.E. E. Clive and all these guys and Uno O'Connor popping up, James Will absolutely knew what he was making. And he ended up making a movie that 90 years later is still like, like, look, I like Dracula. I'm, I've got tickets to go see it next weekend. Um, that movie feels like a product of the early sound era. Mm-hmm. Like it, it works. It's entertaining. This movie feels to me like it could have come out any year within like a 30, 40 year window. I had, honestly, I didn't know. I mean, I assumed because it was one of the originals mm-hmm. that it did was a contemporary of the others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know when it came out. I really didn't. So I had to look up the year <laughs> this yeah. morning and I was like, oh, okay. It was 33. Yeah. Like right around when the mummy's coming out, this thing comes out. That's off to them for the effects because amazing. Yeah. And I can only imagine, you know, the different, you know, the, once they had the script having to think up like, okay, how are we going to execute each one of these things? So the and producers they, did a great job. They would have just limited it to like, 15 minutes of the movie if they you know i've I've seen early sci-fi do that where it's just a lot of people standing around talking but i got a cold chill thinking about this movie being that but yes yeah i mean there there's special effects throughout the whole thing yeah i mean he shows up as the invisible man in the first five minutes it's it's interesting to me that we also this week watched um members in the room um, which was, I don't think, either of our favorite movies. No. In fact, I was like, what movie? Yes. Jamie's yes. already overwritten that part of her memory. I really have. Um, and it's fascinating to see the money thrown at these things. Like, I know they had back lots, so they had kind of like, you need to shoot a, a, a European village, great. Like, we have, a, we have a European village, just don't show it from this angle, because mm-hmm. we use that in Frankenstein or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and you do kind of start to recognize pieces of them from film to film. 
Although this one, I, I really don't immediately say, oh, that's the building from Frankenstein or anything. Um, but they do. They have these giant sets. They have these giant casts. Like the the end of this movie or the back third of it has like hundreds of people tromping through the woods. So one day they went somewhere and were like, we need hundreds of people to just walk around the woods around LA or wherever they were and, and dress in, in English style clothing and just, you know, hit the shrubs. And then they had to have all these like Keystone cops outfits to get all the, all the cops pulled together. And it's really the money thrown at these things for the period um, just seems astronomical. You know, and this isn't even including the special effects. This is, I'm right. talking about the sets and the, <laughs> all the talent that you see on screen. Um, you know, we talk about now about a $250 million movie. I, I mean, I'm convinced there's like weird mob accounting going on with all of that. And I, I don't want to know. Because there's no way anything you're going to see actually cost half a billion dollars to put out. Um, but, you know, these movies were like, oh, $700,000, you know, or whatever. And you're like, wow, people worked for, like, bread and soup back then. They kind of did. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a it's a very different era. and, and uh, but Well, they didn't have unions also. I, mean, I don't think they did yet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly when um, the guilds started forming up, but I can't have been yet. So um, anyway, I, I just think it's uh, as far as like scares go. I mean, you have to kind of buy into the, the concept of first, nobody buying that this is happening. You have to then also understand the like psychological stuff going on with him. What's going on with the people he knew previously. I d I'm not scared by this movie in any way, shape, no, or form. No, um, but I'm not scared by a lot of the Universal original. Yeah, sure. Universal monster. Aside from the first ten minutes of the Mummy, which are the only good parts, which was genuinely creepy. Yeah. Aside from that, it's mostly about Zeta Johan just kind of going, "I'm I'm feeling weird." Yeah. Who's what is happening to me? Um, Not my favorite one. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, if you're looking for something that you can actually probably watch with the kids, that still has some mayhem in it mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. Um, now, I do have the box set. This is my second time to have the box set of Invisible Man movies. I believe back in the aughts, I watched Return of the Invisible Man, but I cannot remember it. So I might tonight be watching Return of the Invisible Man. My understanding, though, is those movies, like the second one's just like a straight sci-fi movie, and the third one's a comedy. Like, they they don't stick to, let's build on what we had before. Okay. Um, if Jack Griffin's dead, we're not bringing Jack back. It's like, he's very dead. Yeah. Yeah. There's other people who are becoming invisible in the, in the subsequent movies. Um, I don't think the invisible man really shows up even in, um, like, uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or any of that. I don't, I don't no. think he's parting. I, I, I don't think so. Much. Mm -hmm. Um, and he doesn't show up generally in like your, uh, Monster Squad type, you know, thinking of of those things. He's he's a different kind of universal horror. Um, 
maybe he fits in a little better with like the black cat and some things like that that we've seen um it just has a little bit more of a sci-fi bent to it so anyway um i really enjoyed this cool i'm not i mean i'm not a huge modern horror person so honestly i prefer the universal monster movies because they've got a little something extra like Mm-hmm. It humor or just how did they do this? Yeah. Or just the, the, um, ambiance mm-hmm. of it all. Um, I, I, I really do latch onto that as opposed to, you know, jump scares and slasher movies, which are not my bag. How'd you deal with no one will save you, Jamie? Oh my God. You guys, we watched, what was it on Hulu? Yeah. So, yeah, there's an alien movie on Hulu this week, which I'll just come out and say it. Like, there's not a lot that just chills me to my core, but I'm because I'm like 10 years old. The gray aliens, the look of a gray alien, just the traditional, you know, cute little makes my skin crawl. And that is all this movie was from get. Like, from the first 10 minutes, you see the first one, like, stalking her. They're making these, like, horrible noises. And then it just nonstop for, like, a whole movie. I made it an hour in, and I was like, I have to stop for tonight. And then we got to the next night, and Ryan, you know, we were thinking about starting it up again. And I was like, can't. I'm out. I can just I cannot feel I knew like there was a 60% chance you were going to do that. I cannot feel like this. This insides and knots for another 30 minutes. I just can't yeah. do it. It's so funny because like I could I sat through the thing, you know, the shining, like all that and I'm okay. Even aliens, like yeah, it's scary. There's some jump scares, but it doesn't shake me. Uh-huh. Like seeing these things. I, and I think to some extent, that's how we've kind of ended up in our house during October, watching a lot of Universal and Hammer. I like mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not scary, scary. Yeah, it's it's scary-ish. Yeah, it's got, yeah, a scary atmosphere, but. um, Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah, I. I, I didn't mean to throw you under the, the, the movie bus, but I wanted to make kind of the contrast of, like, what scares you versus what doesn't. Yeah, no, I think the people should know. Um, versus I'm watching Exorcist 3 right now, and I'm watching it in chunks because I'm actually finding it quite scary. Oh, wow. It's good psychological horror stuff. Mm. So, um, anyway, I, again, um, I think that, I'd love to actually see this. Uh, you know, it's already been remade with Elizabeth Moss. I need to check that one out before I say it needs to get remade. Um, I think it's a fun concept, so I don't think the Elizabeth Moss one looks fun. Yeah, that's, um, that's and, the problem And with so it. I'd be curious to see someone kind of pick it up and, and kind of get back to the camp of this one, of, like, the short running, which, because you know James Whale was just laughing and laughing about a guy with no pants running down the road. When he shows up at, I don't remember the guy's name, the his house. Like Kemp's house? Kemp's house. And he pulls up a chair. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me, like, at that moment, he is not wearing 
anything. Yeah. Put a towel down, my man. Some junk is going to be on that chair. Yeah. It is. Your junk will always have touched that cushion. <laughs> He's going to need some bleach after this. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. I think Your so, too. junk has stained the, the forever tainted the cushions, to speak. Uh, all right. Uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy and Halloween. Uh, we will, I, I think this might be our last one for the month. Um, so enjoy, have a great trick or treat and, uh, let us know what you think. You know, hit like, and subscribe. Yeah. Well, I don't know how this works. Um, but we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you've never seen the invisible man and you do watch it, uh, let us know what you think. I, I have actually had a, Hard time finding it streaming, which shocked me. Um, it's probably out there somewhere. Complete set. So order the complete set. You can probably get it on Amazon streaming for like three bucks. Yeah. So do that. Don't pay for high definition. It was filmed, you know, 80, 90 years ago. So you, you, getting it high definition is not going to help you. Standard definition should be fine. Um, right. I just screwed Amazon out of a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween. Bye-bye. I'm the invisible man. I'm the invisible man. Incredible how you can. it up for this edition of the signal watch a production of the league of melbotus thanks for sticking with us if you enjoyed the podcast we invite you to drop on by the signal watch blog where you'll find write-ups of a wide variety of movies and more we'd love to hear from you so find us online and let us know what you think whether you prefer email blog comments or social media we'll be happy to hear from you We'll be back soon with more exceedingly high-quality content. So, until next time. God damn it, babies. You've got to be kind. <laughs>